church of Ephesus. And he doesn't think he's going to see them again. So it's kind of a farewell address. And we've been in it for, again, um, it's been a few months. And we want to finish up tonight. Wherever we go, we're going to finish up tonight. And then by the, by the grace of God, next week we want to start um, the fruit of the Spirit. So we'll take two or three months and we'll walk through Galatians 5. And so um, we look forward to that. Acts 20, beginning with verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. And now I commit you to God and to the word of His grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver, gold, or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Can you say amen? The last part of this farewell address, section three, is broken up into three parts where Paul addresses the dangers around us. He's warning them about the future. The dangers around us. And we touched that. He spoke about, be aware, the, the false savage wolves, those false teachers that will try to come in with perverted and deceptive doctrines and pollute and contaminate. And we stressed that. We spent a whole class on that. And we said how Jesus warned us and Peter warned us and Paul warned us and Jude warned us throughout the word of God. We're warned. For, look out for those false teachers. And one of the greatest antidotes to that is why the church emphasizes and stresses Bible study and Bible teaching, whether it's the little kids, Sunday school, all the way up to the small groups to the main sanctuary. We've got to know the word of God so we can't be fooled. Amen. We've got to know proper doctrine. We've got to know what the Bible says so that we're not easily swayed and tossed about. Paul used the phrase, so you're not tossed about like little children on the ways by every wind of doctrine. But we'll know the Bible. We know the truth and we can't be fooled. All right. Secondly, he warns them about the dangers among us. All right. And that's verse 30, the dangers among us. And he says, not only false teachers from out, but from within. There's people that want power, they have agendas, they got to have their own way, etc., etc. And they bring divisions, and they bring strife, and they bring destruction. And we, we studied that, and we, we spent a good whole class on that also. And we said, look out for that. Look out for that. Strive for unity and, and purity and peace among the brethren, and so forth. And now, the last sub-point, look out for the dangers within us. And this is where we stopped last week, and this is as far as we'll go. Paul warns and really gives five sins that are especially destructive to the life and minister of spiritual leaders in the church, to your life, to my life. And the first one we touched on last week, verse 31, and we'll call it carelessness. Carelessness. He simply says, so be on your guard. Don't be careless. Don't be careless in your Christianity. Amen? Um, be, 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 be diligent. Be, be vigilant. Be responsible in your Christianity, in your devotion to God, in your duty to carry out your calling. Be diligent. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and days with tears. So number one, don't look out for carelessness. That casual Christianity. 
People are careless in their own devotions. They're careless in their walk of holiness. And they, therefore, they're careless in their diligence of being watchmen and caring for those God's entrusted to you. Listen, if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to take care of anyone else. You've got to take care of yourself. Amen. You've got to walk close with Jesus. You've got to be diligent in your devotion so you have life yourself and you'll be able to take care of those that God gives you. But we studied all that. Our duty, our diligence, our devotion. He warned us. And then secondly, and we touched on this last week, verse 32, the next thing we look out for is shallowness. Shallowness. And that's in verse 32. Paul says, Now I commend or I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. Prayer, I commit you to God. I call your name before the throne of grace. I commit you to God by praying for you, by thinking of you, by walking the aisles and imagining where you sit and praying over you, taking the directory and going up and down and calling your name out before God. Paul says, I commit you to God, prayer, into the word of his grace, the word of God. This is only the word of God's grace that can build a person up. If you want to be built up, you've got to have the word. Amen? If you want to be strong in faith, you've got to know the word. Isn't that right? If you want to have a strong heart and a strong faith and, and be healed from those things that would try to drag you down, the word of God in the heart. And so he, Paul says, it'll build you up and it'll give you your inheritance. If you want to go forward in God and enjoy this great salvation, apart from the word, you'll never get there. Amen? It's the word that gives us the riches of his grace. And so that, that, that shallowness. Because listen, if I'm shallow, if you're shallow in your walk with God, we can't build others unless God is building us. It's hard to give what you don't got. Isn't that right? It's hard to train your children. It's hard to minister somewhere if you yourself are weak and you yourself aren't full of the Spirit and have that Word in you. And so let's be, um, we touched on this pretty good last week, so we'll just glance at a couple things. Be intentional and determined to grow spiritually. Be intentional. Accidental, don't cut it. Amen? Be intentional and be determined to grow spiritually. Pursue spiritual progress. You show up for Bible study. You're pursuing spiritual progress. Amen? Especially if you're in a younger generation where, forget it, there's there's no guilt anymore about um, abandoning God's house. They're abandoning it to do everything under the sun. So if you're under under 60 today and you're not from the guilt generation, i got to applaud you. The fact that you're here to study God's Word on a midweek means you're pursuing spiritual progress. God said, if you seek me, you'll find me. Amen? That's the good news. If you pursue this God, He lets us find Him. If He wanted to hide, no one could catch Him. But He says, guess what? If you seek me, I'm going to let you find me. But you have to be intentional and determined to grow in God. It won't happen accidental. Weeds grow accidentally. You ever see somebody with a good garden? I can never have one because I'm just too, I'm just not going to do it. Amen. But when you see someone that has a nice garden, you know they spend some time in that garden. Amen. I mean, there's a certain amount of fertilizer. They got to weed it. They've got to do this and that. There's a lot of work into seeing something look that beautiful. And there's some work in it. If you want to grow in your Christian experience, you got to be intentional in it. Isn't that right? Progress, maturing in knowledge of God. Look, if you would, at Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14. And we'll just look at this verse very quick. Because again, to avoid shallowness, let's have some substance. Amen? Let's be a people of substance. You know, what, what I used to tell the men when I, when I would do more men's ministry, I said, what the church needs is spiritual men. More than just men that pay the bills and take care of the kids. That's nice, but that's elementary. 
Beyond just that. The world does that for the most part. But we need spiritual men. Men that know their Bible. Men that aren't ashamed to shout praise the Lord, glory to God. Men that aren't ashamed to lift up their hands and give Jesus glory and honor. Let that tear flow. Not ashamed of that. Because they're they're, they're not a shallow people. They have a depth to them. There's a sincerity to them. But if we're going to have a depth, that means a diligence and a determination. And an effort towards that. So here's Paul. This is the great Apostle Paul. And he just kind of gives us some of his, the rule of thumb. Amen? You know, nowadays, any joker can get up and, and write a paperback book and they sell it. Amen? That crazy governor from New York, God help him. That joker. But anyhow, you know, this pandemic wasn't even two months in. He had a book on how good of a leader he was. I mean, half the people dying in his nursing homes and he's writing a book. Talk about the gall of such an ungodly person. But anyhow, he is who he is and he'll stand before the Almighty. But the point is, nowadays, anybody that even, even accidentally accomplishes something can put out their book because they're the expert in it. Amen? Well, here the great Apostle Paul, he was proven. Amen? He stood the test of time, did he not? And we run to these seminars, wait in line, hear some person tell us something a little common sense ought to be able to tell you. Isn't that right? Tell you how to balance your checkbook. My Lord, go to Barnes & Noble, get your own book, figure that stuff out. Anyway, I'm getting back, I'm getting back. You know, this stuff, folks, we're a crazy group. We exalt things that ought to make us ashamed. We have to exalt, we exalt, crazy. But here the man of God gives us some rule of thumbs on how to be a successful Christian, how to grow in this thing. Starts out with number one, you've got to have a divine dissatisfaction. If you're satisfied not coming to church, well, you are what you are. But if you're not satisfied with where you are on God, you are ready to grow. If you're not satisfied and you're hungry to learn more about the Bible, learn more about this wonderful Jesus, and you want to experience more of the grace of God, then you are ready to go forward in God. Paul begins, not that I have already obtained this. Paul says, this is Paul. I mean, he's seen Jesus, right? We all know his story. He'd raised the dead. He's built great churches. I mean, he's writing the New Testament, right? And he says, guess what? I haven't obtained it. He had a divine dissatisfaction. He was hungry for more of God. Isn't that right? you got to be hungry for it if you want it. So it's number one. You notice, if we want to grow and not be shallow, if you want to have some substance in your life, You've got to have a divine dissatisfaction that says, I'm not happy just being elementary in this thing. I want to be strong. I want to know my Bible. I want to know Jesus. I want to know the voice of the Spirit. I want to walk in the power of God. Amen? He says, not that I've already obtained all this, nor have already been made perfect. I love that. Paul says, I haven't arrived yet. That means there's more. Amen? That means there's more. But I don't just talk about it, he says. I put some action to it. Because, you know, talk can be, yeah, you know it, talk can be cheap. You've got to put some action to that confession. And Paul says, but I press to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus, I press. He starts out with a desire, a hunger. He has an honest evaluation of his life. You know, if you're going to improve in anything, it starts with an honest evaluation of where you're at. Isn't that true? I mean, I don't care if it's a physical thing. I don't care if it's your health. I don't care if it's your, your finances. I don't care if it's your profession. You're, you're typically not going to improve if you don't start out with an honest assessment of here I am. I want something more. Isn't it true? When you try to help people, one of the first things you try to get through to them is you've got to be honest about where you're at. You've got to wake up. Some people get in la-la land, isn't that right? 
I mean, they're, they're out of whack and you're trying to get, hey, that first thing that addict needs to realize is I'm an addict and I need help. As long as he keeps saying, I'm okay, I'm okay, very little you can do for him. Isn't that right? When you get that carnal Christian, they think it all is hunky-dory and they can only show up once every two months. you got to know. They're in a lot of land of sorts. They think one thing, but it's not reality, is it? And until someone realizes, I'm not where I need to be, there'll be nothing to move them onward to grow in God. So Paul starts out with a dissatisfaction. If you want to grow in God, you've got to have a dissatisfaction of where you're at. You've got to have a hunger to know Him better, to, to walk with Him closer, to be used of Him greater, an honest evaluation, striving. But then secondly, there's the, not only does He confess, I'm not there, I want more, but then He puts action to His words. He says, but I press on. I reach. There's some effort in this thing. I'm straining. And, and the word that's used here, Paul's using a word that they would use either when they would run the race, you know, and they get to the, to the finish line, they lean with all their straining. Or in the chariot races of those days, you'd get on those, those chariots that they raced with were not the battle ones. The ones they raced with, pretty much a two-by-four down here, and you're hooked up to that horse, and you'd strain with everything to go forward, to finish line. And Paul's saying, not only am I saying that I want more of God, I'm putting forth the effort to get more of God. This talk can be cheap. We don't want to just talk it. We want to walk it. Isn't that right? It's enough just to say, listen, I'm not where I need to be. I want more of God. That's good. That's a starting point. But you can't start. You can't stop there. Then you got to act. Paul says, but I press on. You know what he presses on? Not just for a one-time experience. You know, some people have a revival meeting and they're content with that. They had an encounter. We don't want an encounter. We want a habitation. I mean, we want to enter this thing. Amen? We, we don't want just a, a visitation. We want a habitation. We don't want just a one-time encounter. We want to be changed and walk in this thing. Paul uses this word, yeah, I press on to what? To take hold. To apprehend. That means to make it mine personally. I don't want to just hear about it, and I don't want to just taste it once in a blue moon. I want to walk in that deeper walk of Jesus. Isn't that right? I don't want to just have victory one day out of seven. I want to get final victory over certain things and apprehend certain things and lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Hallelujah. We'll just read the rest of these verses and press on. I was only supposed to touch on this. What's that next verse? Verse 13. Brothers, I don't consider myself as yet to have taken hold of it. Again, Paul's recognizing. You know what? Honest evaluation, divine dissatisfaction. I'm not there yet, but I want more. I do not consider myself yet taking hold of it, but one thing I do. Okay? He didn't just have a confession. He had an action. He says, I'm going to forget what's behind, the good things and the bad things. You know, some people get complacent in God because they had a good past. Some people get complacent because they did good in the past. You know, others, they had negative. But either way, your past cannot control your present. When the Bible says forgetting, it doesn't mean amnesia. That's silly. You know, you're not going to get amnesia. Sometimes we wish we could get amnesia for some things. But for the most part, we don't, it's not amnesia, right? What it means, forgetting, it means don't let that thing control you like it used to. Don't let that thing have a constant negative effect on you. Forgetting what's behind, and here's that word again. Think of the runner, think of the race, think of the chariot guy, straining towards what's ahead. I'm across that finish line, straining towards what is ahead. 
I press on. There it is again. It's not enough just that I recognize I have a need, not just enough to confess I have a desire. I'm going to put some action to my speech. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So, again, the danger with with shallowness. Let's be men and women of substance. Let's have some maturity. Let's have some depth so that we can walk in this thing. And so that we can, so that we can reproduce what we are. If we're shallow and carnal, we're going to reproduce shallow and carnal. But if we're spiritual and mature, we can reproduce that. And I can't give what I don't have. So I want to go into a place of depth with God, maturity with God. So I can give out something. Can you say amen? All right, now let's get to the next one. That was kind of a review, but it's hard to go over that one and not shout a little bit. The next one, all right, we, we've touched on um, carelessness and shallowness. How about covetousness? Covetousness. If you would, verse 33. Verse 33. Paul writes, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. Now, coveted... A lot of times in the New King James, we see covenant, the NIV, we'll have greed. So they're kind of interchangeable just so as we go along here. But the third sin, Paul says, that can hinder you and I from ministering effectively and doing God's will is if we're covetous. That's always wanting more. I mean, it could be something, it turns into idolatry, as we'll see, because you wind up putting it before God. It could be having something more of what you shouldn't have, or even something more of what you do have. But it causes people to compromise character and integrity to get it. When you let desire for other things become so strong, all of a sudden priorities get out of whack. Certain things get more important than they should be. And again, it causes the priorities. These are driving desire that controls us for what others have and more of what we have. Watch out for the world's materialism. Now, we know enough to know that God blesses us and God wants us blessed. There's nothing wrong with God blessing a person financially. Not the problem at all. We'll see that later on. But it's keeping one's priorities in life. Keeping things in line. It's making sure that we're living for eternity, not just living for the temporal. And Paul, let me put it this way, Paul's not looking for riches down here. His inheritance is in heaven. And he urges the followers, the believers, to deny themselves for the sake of God's kingdom. And God will reward you on that day. You see, it's not always easy to think that way in a world that bombards us with its values and its commercials and its philosophies. A philosophy that makes now more important than then. But folks, there will be a then. (laughs) I assure you as you're hearing me tonight, there will be a then. So make sure you're living today for that day. But covetousness. Paul says, I didn't covet. You see, because once, once you start desiring temporal things, man, you'll start cutting corners spiritually. Once you desire natural things, and you no longer have your affections above, it's amazing how, how integrity goes. It's amazing how, how priorities get all... Remember, let's look at the words of Jesus. Go ahead, if you would. Matthew 6... Let's go to verse 19. Covetousness. Covetousness. I, I was watching the other night. Their, uh, 60 Minutes had a, a, a clip of one of their um, 
reporters, maybe their 25th anniversary. So they're showing little clips of little interviews that they've done through the years. So it's just like 30-second segments. And so this reporter, I forget which one it was, they had this little clip, and there's Denzel Washington. And Denzel looks at the reporter, and they're walking. Denzel says, yeah, you know, like my pastor says, you'll never see, you'll never see a U-Haul following the hearse. You can't take it with you. You'll never see a U-Haul following a hearse. You can't take it with. Isn't that right? I know who his pastor is. That man of God, Bishop Blake. He, he's, oh, oh he, uh, he's, a, he's a preacher. But let's look at this. Let's look at the words of Jesus. Because Paul says one of the things, and I, I say in, in America, one of the things that hinders us from going the extra mile for the kingdom of God is we get caught up in the materialism, in the temporal things of this world. And we put temporal things ahead of eternal things. And then we, we try to justify it and we try to argue it. Let's just look at the words of Jesus. Then we'll go and we'll look at what Paul says and we'll try to walk away with an understanding. And at the end, we'll look at, well, when we are blessed, how should we behave? Because God's a good God. He's got no problem with blessing us. Amen? But it's so often that people can't handle the blessing because it becomes a God to them as, as opposed to a blessing. All right. Um, verse 19, Matthew 6, verse 19. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth rust and, and destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Use your time, your talents, and your treasure for what matters most. I mean, nothing wrong with having a nice house. I mean, nothing wrong with that at all. God bless you. He gave you the brains to get that education. He gave you the uh, hard back to work. Nothing wrong with that. But make sure the Lord is first. Amen? Make sure you're using a good portion of that blessing for the kingdom of God. Don't store up for yourself. Store it up by using it now for the eternity and for the gospel's sake. Where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See that treasure? Where's your heart? Get your heart, get your heart, your affections, amen? Where's people's affections? You jump down to verse 24. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you hate one, love the other, you'll be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Don't be covetousness. Again, nothing wrong with God blessing us. God does bless us. But make sure that thing don't control you. Make sure that thing doesn't capture you or doesn't become a priority out of whack. Now turn, if you would, to Luke's Gospel. Go to Luke 12. Let's look again what Jesus is saying to us here. So, so Jesus tells us, don't store up down here. Store it up there. Use the blessings you have for eternity. Isn't that right? Make sure you're given to the house of God. You're given to missions. You're given to help hurting people. You're you're using that. Hallelujah. Luke 12, and look, if you would, at verse 15. This is Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, watch out, look out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed or covetousness. Because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You think the other way, the way the world thinks. Biggest car, most expensive this. That must mean he's something. What you notice when you study the Bible is that God's opinion is a lot different than man's opinion. And the way God measures and weighs things are typically quite different than the way. Now, the context here 
as Jesus is teaching and preaching, and two brothers come up, and they want him to settle a dispute about their inheritance. And Jesus basically says, hey, who made me judge between you? He goes, I'm not Judge Judy. I didn't come here to settle a small claims court. I come here to die for the sins of the world. But Jesus uses opportunity to give everyone a warning about walk out for greed. For an extra nickel, I see people stop coming to God's house. Their children will go to hell because they made another quarter for that raise. Wouldn't better off not getting that raise and showing up in God's house and raising your kids where they belong. Come on, say amen. I mean, that's real. That's, isn't that real? Got to make it real. There ain't no sense of us acting phony. We got to bring it where it's at. And I've seen that. I've seen it. Oh, my Lord. Break your heart. Jesus went on to tell a story. This is a parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger ones. And there I'm going to store all my grain and all my goods. A lot of my's in here. A lot of me, me, me's in here. You'll notice in that story. And I'll say to myself, you've got plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. He had his confidence in his riches, didn't he? He had his confidence in all these natural things. Look at verse 20. My goodness, this will blow blow you away. This is revival preaching here. But God said, you can say all you want, but what's God saying? We can boast about, I got this and I got that and I've got this prize and I've got this honor and I've got this title. Wonderful, wonderful. You give God glory for all that. Wonderful. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Nothing wrong with the blessing. But, what's God saying? But God said, you fool. Did God say that? Look at that. Is that in the book? I don't want you to think I put that in there. God said, now, he, the man just said, I'm going to take life easy. I'm all set. I got money and men to spare. I'm going to be like these others. I don't have to drive that piece of thing. I got a good, I, I don't have to. Everyone respects me. Everybody knows who I am. But God had a different opinion, didn't he? My friend, make sure God's opinion about you is the right opinion. Make sure God's opinion about you is the right opinion. What your friends say don't matter if God's not saying what matters. But God said, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Wow. You know, there comes a time our life will be demanded of us. Isn't that right? And what will God say at that time? Everyone ought to be concerned about that. And Jesus said, verse 21, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up. See, that's the problem. You're storing up. You're hoarding. You're not giving. If you're blessed, give it away. The whole key isn't in saving. Saving's not how you get blessed. Giving's how you get blessed. My goodness. Saving the world's like that. As soon as things get tight, they want to hoard it. God says, no, keep it giving. Keep it going. Keep it going. That's how you keep the cycle flowing. Amen. It's like that farmer said, I can't sow any more seed because you're not going to get any more crop. Jesus said, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. Oh, friend, be rich towards God. Be rich in faith. Be be rich in, in good works. Amen. Be rich in the things that have heaven's applause. Be rich. 
in your walk with Jesus. Be rich in your devotion to the Lord. Amen? Because God says, when you face me, I'm not going to look at your bank account. I'm not moved by that. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know where every dime in my South Africa is. God knows. God's not moved by the things men are moved at. Be rich in faith. Be rich in devotion to Christ. Be rich in your diligence to serve the Lord and help hurting people and do the works of God. Oh, yes. Be rich. Be rich. Be rich in the right things. Be rich towards God. But again, we notice verse 15. Jesus warned us, watch out. Be on your guard. Especially in this culture. Everything is geared. I mean, we sell you the truck because it makes you look like, you know, the man you want to be. I mean, it's just commercial. Amen? That right? That's what, it, I mean, that's what commercials do. We sell something. Everyone's going to make me. Let's find out what God thinks. Let's hunger and thirst for the applause of heaven. Oh, glory. Man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. One more time, you're never going to see a U-Haul following a hearse. When it's all done, it's all done, you stand before God naked. And then only your works and only your faith and only your devotion to Christ that's gone ahead of you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That's what Jesus said. Now, as Paul, years later as the church develops, let's see how Paul addresses some of these subjects. Go to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Glory to God. Because Paul is telling us here that covetousness will mess you up. Nothing wrong with having a nice house. Keep saying that. Nothing wrong with that. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Isn't that right? I had a church one time. They had a poverty mentality. I never forget it. God sent us there. And I said, oh God, I've never seen such pathetic poverty mentality. And I couldn't handle it. And I right? couldn't handle it. <laughs> one lady said, well, you're poor now. And, you know, Christine, she goes, that's your report, not my report. Not my, you confess what you want. I'm rich in God. I don't care if I want to make 10000 a year at that time, but I'll tell you what, I'm rich in God. But what got me was they had an attitude towards people that were blessed. I had to rebuke them. When I was young, I rebuked the whole church every now and again. They needed it. I rebuked them. I said, hey, hey, get off their case. You think, you think the father gave them that money? And I know most of them you're, you're, jealous of, you're jealous of them. They worked two jobs to put themselves through school, so they got that degree to make that money. No, no, they, they were diligent. God honors diligence. That's in the book. They worked hard. They lived right. They're not going through the fifth marriage where you got to pay in half a dozen people out there. No, no, no. You live right, you get blessed. Come on, say amen. Woo! <laughs> I rebuked them. Hear that poverty mentality. God's a good God. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. He's a God of blessing. Amen? He supplies all our needs. Amen. We're living by faith, not dying by faith, folks. I mean, God is a good God. And He's going to bless us. And the Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. He's a good shepherd. I don't know what kind of shepherd that would be that wasn't taking care of his sheep. So we have to understand that. Now, Paul, this covetous, Paul says, if you get too caught up in this, though, you see, if you get too caught up in it, then you lose your heart for what's eternal. You lose your ability to really serve sacrificially and diligently. And you want the comforts instead of the eternal reward. So, so look at what Paul writes here. And there's a lot of verses, but 
Paul's writing to the church. These are believers, okay? So you've got to realize this early church, they're, they're, they're coming out of heat, paganism 101. All right, they're coming out of idolatry. They're coming out. It's not like today. You know, this is a whole different story. So Paul says, listen, among you, if you're a Christian, among you, there should not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Even back in that wicked age, they preached purity. Woo! Or any kind of impurity or of, oh, look at that, greed. New King James is going to say covetousness. Because these are improper for God's holy people. I read that and I said, that's something. God's putting greed. I didn't think greed was all that bad. I didn't think it was as bad as those things. Isn't that right? I'm just trying to get, make a point here. Do you see the, the, the grouping God put greed with? We read those other things. Oh, man, those are terrible sins. God says, I put greed right in there with them. So obviously God sees greed different sometimes than we see greed. I didn't see it as, as bad as that. Because these are improper for God's holy people. Whew. Look at that next verse. He goes on. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking. They're out of place. Certain things, if you're a believer, not a hint to those things. Things are out of place now, if you're a believer. Things that used to be acceptable, they're out of place now. Because you're God's holy people. You've been redeemed by that blood. You represent the King of Kings. Instead of foolish talking, fill your mouth with thanksgiving. Fill your heart with praise. Let that bubble over to the glory of God. Amen? What's that next one tell us? For this you can be sure. Paul had to preach that. People were thinking they could, quote unquote, come into the physical church and live any way they wanted and still make it in. Paul had to correct some false ideology, some false theology. He says, you can be sure of this, no immoral, impure, or greedy. There he goes putting those together again. Or greedy or covetous person, such a man is an idolater. You see, God says, if you're caught up in greed and covet, that's idolatry. But you're putting these natural things and all these other things ahead of God. It's amazing when we want to make the buck, but we'll sacrifice. When it's for self, isn't that right? <laughs> when it's for self. I mean, we put it on, what, what's that old thing? Layaway. Remember layaway? Oh yeah, we'll miss lunch for three days to get that new pair of shoes. When it's for self. We'll put in all the overtime for the extra fishing pole. When it's for self. But when it comes time to serving God in some way, I, you know. I told one group the only time you ever talk about budget or um, our time management when it comes to God's house. When it comes to having fun, there's no such word. Isn't that right? Ooh, this is good. The Bible says such a man is an idolater. And no person like that has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. If these things are your practice, when the Bible speaks of these things, they're not talking about a one-time slip, but when it's your practice, it means you're not really saved. That's what the Bible teaches. Let's, let's go on. So let no one deceive you with empty words. See, those things we mentioned, the world will be very flippant about them, right? The world will be very poo-pooable, right? Oh, come on. Come on. Well, you know, come on. Let no one deceive you with empty words. See, the world will be real, real, oh, come on, God's a God of love. You haven't read the book then. 
He, he does love. But he also got a holy standard. We might as well get that one straight. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, Paul had to teach this to the church. Because of those things we talked about, God's wrath comes on those that are disobedient. Boy, that's New Testament. Isn't that right? Wow. Give me that next one. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Wow. Wow. So Paul is telling us that greed and covetousness, he groups it in the same group of some real ugly sins, doesn't he? And then he tells us that God considers it idolatry. You know, we're, 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 you know, we're Americans, we're modern, we're educated. I wouldn't worship an idol. God says, yeah. You got something ahead of me? You got something you're putting before me? Just because it's not something you can hold and bow down to. Well, then again, you, you bow down every time you write the check to pay that you couldn't afford. Colossians, Colossians, go to the Colossians verse. Let's look at this. What Paul says again, very similar, very similar. And he's talking to that church. You say, again, they're, they're coming in and they're newly saved. They got some hang-ups, amen? They're, they're not, you know, they didn't come from five generations of um, Pleasant Grove and Central Assembly and, you know, this tabernacle, none of that. No, 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 no. They're coming out of heathen. And says, hey, listen, put to death. You're saved now. So there's some things you got to do with that old behavior, amen? You don't coddle it, you kill it. You don't make excuses for it. You deny it and overcome it. But see, they were still a project, right? They were still in the, they were in the process of becoming. They didn't just get saved and all, you see. But Paul had to teach them truth. So they knew, hey, you got to shoot for this. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Renounce it. Overcome it. Deny it. Reject it. And he gives us a list here. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. I just, it'll not blow you away that those ugly sins and greed or covetousness, which is idolatry. Mm. You see, because if we really allow covetousness and greed to get a hold of us, we'll start breaking all the other commands. We'll cut corners, we'll lie, we'll cheat, we'll steal. We'll make excuses. When that thing drives you to get more or to achieve something that's not of God. All right, go to 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 11. Again, Paul warns us, because this can mess you up. And again, God wants to bless you. He wants to bless your business. He wants to bless your um, finances in every way is a good God. We could spend weeks and weeks talking about that. That's not the point. The point Paul's trying to warn leaders, that is so easy. We're all susceptible to allow these natural things to kind of elbow out their place and our priorities are out of whack. Now I don't got time. I never forget Brother Clendenin told the story. He's back, <laughs> one of these stories back in, must have been the 50s. He's had a great choir leader in the 50s. Wonderful. I mean, man, that guy could lead a choir. You know, back in those days, it was, dun, dun, you know, but I mean, they had that choir, man. He says, oh, God would come down, right? And he was a businessman. He was a layperson. And he came to his church one Sunday. He says, um, I'm going to have to give up the choir. He says, why? Why are you moving? He goes, no, I just, 
I got a little raise and I don't think I'll have the time, you know, a little, little promotion. Don't have the time. He said, hey, hey, hey. That, that choir is not just something you do. That's your ministry from the Lord. That's your worship unto the Lord. That's more important than you. Said, no, 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 no. He goes, I watched. See, when you pastor long enough, you see things. I watched the next 20 years. Two beautiful daughters backslid. It's hard to front slide when you're only in church once every other month. Because as soon as they couldn't come to church no more. For the next 20 years, they'd show up maybe every couple of years. Maybe sometimes repent. Otherwise, watch that man have a terrible life. And at one time, he was one of, Brother Clinton, one of the most anointed choir leaders that I'd ever seen we ever had in our church. And oh, how God used him. But he got caught up in the natural where he renounced his calling to pursue that. And what a price he paid. What a price we pay when we have idolatry. When we're guilty of idolatry. Paul writes, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You see, let's go on, let's read a little bit. For we brought nothing into the world, and guess what? That U-Haul, not going to follow that hearse, amen? You never saw that U-Haul over at Hopewell, isn't that right? Isn't that, ain't nothing there. It's nothing there. If you have anything, your kids will just fight over it. Most of them won't have anything anyhow. I'm just praying that when mine go out off to pay, I'll pay it. You know what I mean? I'm, just, I'm not expecting anything. I'm just saying, Lord, help mercy. We brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have our food and our clothing, God's going to take care of us. Amen? Be content with that. People who want to get rich, you see, now that's the desire, what's driving us. It's in what's driving me, what's motivating me. People who want to get rich fall into temptation, into a trap, into many foolish and harmful desires. You see, it takes a life of its own that plunge men into ruin and destruction. I'm going to say this. The pride of life. One of the things that caused Eve to stumble, the pride of life. Lust of the eyes, boasting of what we have, the pride of life. Is one of the most dangerous and damaging things to a person. I've seen it hurt more lives and more marriages, ministries. More than you'd realize. It's a subtle thing. It's something hidden that drives people to start acting different. That drives people away from the things of eternity. I've seen some people, all of a sudden, plain people. All of a sudden, they, they get a facelift at, at 35 or 40, and they start looking a little better, and the next thing you know, they're out with someone they shouldn't be out with. I'm saying this stuff comes to the heart. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Harmful desires. Harmful desires. See what I mean? We begin to allow certain things. To entice us. We begin to allow certain things to control us. We want the praise of man more than the praise of God. We, we, we want certain things for our status as opposed to pleasing the master. People who want to get rich fall into temptation, into trap, into many foolish and harmful, harmful desires. Once you start pursuing, pursue the Lord. Pursue the Lord. Pursue God. And they plunge men they plunge marriages. They plunge ministry into ruin and destruction. Because before how Paul said, there's a dissatisfaction in me. I want to embrace what God has called me. I'm going to press towards the mark. 
Instead, it gets flipped and the people are pressing and reaching towards things that are not of God. Things that will deceive and defile. For the love of money, not money, but the love of money, is a root. It produces fruit. When you love it, it starts producing. It gives a false security. It gives a false sense of what a value. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. Wandered from the faith. I joke around about it, but it's true. I pray for some people in times past, Lord, don't bless them too much. You know they can't handle it. I mean, it'd be nice if they could handle it. Amen? I've seen, Lord, don't bless them too much. Whenever they start getting too blessed and get too many toys, they backslide. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced, listen, and pierced themselves with many griefs. Wow. Do you think, you think divorce court and things like that happen by accident? <laughs> oh, this is the Bible. Isn't it good to study the Bible? Yeah, it is. All right, jump to mine next. What's that next verse? What do we got? We got one more up there. All right, now. Let us get, let us get to the last part. Now when God blesses, when God blesses, because Paul warns us about being covetousness. He warns us, keep your priorities and keep your desires and keep the strivings of your life towards that which is eternal and that which matters. But now Paul, he's going to write to us, now when you're blessed, because God wants you blessed. Paul says, Timothy, this is how you speak to those that are blessed and God, he doesn't say get rid of it. He doesn't say you're bad. Command those who are rich in this present world. Nothing wrong with being rich in this present world. We could take a few more. Wouldn't bother me at all. Amen. I'll take their tithe. How about you? I'll take, I'll, I'll take it. Amen. Command those that are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth. God says if you're rich, nothing wrong with that. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, right? God bless you. Amen. If you don't think God wants to bless you, then, then, then don't go for a promotion. Then, then don't pray that your business gets increased. Amen? We, that's foolish talk, right? God wants to bless you. So command those that are blessed. Don't be arrogant about it. Make sure you give glory to God. Amen? Don't think like that rich man, I did it, I did it. Don't put your hope in it. Recognize it as a blessing from God, but put your hope in God. Recognize it as a reward from heaven. It's uncertain. Put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You know, if you go back far enough in the church, I don't think they believe that. But you know, God doesn't mind us having enjoyment. Isn't that good? And when God blesses us, God says, nothing wrong with spending it to be blessed. Enjoy it and employ it. If you're blessed, don't get cocky about it. Recognized by the grace of God, I am what I am. Amen? Don't put your trust in it. Easy come, easy go. Put your trust in God. He's the one that doesn't change. All right? But then, enjoy it. Nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with that. Enjoy it and employ it. Enjoy it and then use it to bless others. Look at what it's going to say here. Everything for our enjoyment and command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, 
They'll lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they can take hold of life that is truly life. So if you are blessed, hey, give God glory. Don't get cocky about it. Don't put your trust in it. It's easy. You know, it can go. It can go. But God, enjoy it. Nothing wrong with enjoy it. Let people know this is the blessing of God. Let, let the kids know, hey, we can do this because God's blessed us. We can buy this because God's blessed us. God's been good. Amen? But don't just stop there. Enjoy it. Employ it. Be generous. Give to the gospel's sake. Go help someone that's hurting. Reach out to someone that needs a helping hand. Use the blessing to be a blessing. I mean, God wants to bless us so we can bless others. Amen? Isn't that what he did? God came down to... We were in poverty. He laid aside his riches that he can make us rich in faith. He laid aside all that. Isn't that right? He used his glory to lift us up from our place of poverty and want. And God says, when you're blessed, use it to lift someone else up. Glory be to God. That's the end of that. Hallelujah. Next time, we want to start Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to look at love, peace, joy, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And you don't want to miss that. We're going to take our sweet time like we do every time. Amen? And we're going to look at each one a week or two. Next time, we're going to start out with love, 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 love. The greatest of these is love. Amen? Father, we love you and praise you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for Paul's farewell address to the Ephesian elders that has taught us so much, that has given us encouragements as well as warnings. Help us, Lord, to apply what we've learned, that we might be wiser than our enemies, and that we might fulfill our divine calling, that we might carry out our divine duty. Father, we thank you for the privilege that we don't have to be a shallow people. We can be men and women of spiritual substance. We can be those that are growing and maturing, knowing you better, stronger in our faith, that in return we can really bless others. And we can really be an instrument to lift others up and to encourage others' faith. Father, bless these dear ones. Give them a wonderful week. Use them. Let there be many divine appointments and divine conversations. Give them the words to speak. And Father, use those that are here today to lift others up. Help us, Father, never to forget every blessing we have has come from you. Help us to always honor you and acknowledge you for it and help us to use it in a way that glorifies your name. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great night.